Boss Brief, a strategic guide on how to not be an asshole at work. We'll tell you about bad bosses, how they can be handled, how to tell if you happen to be one. An executive and an executive coach, both artists working in advertising and marketing for more than two decades, are here to advise you on the ins and outs of office environments. The Bad Boss Brief is your ultimate guide to navigating any employment landscape. Here are your hosts, Eugene S. Robinson and Stephanie Payrollo. Hey, welcome to the Bad Boss Brief. I am Stephanie Payrollo. I'm Eugene S. Robinson. We're glad you're here today. Today, which is our 12th episode, a full dozen, uh, we are going to talk about the cowardly boss. <laughs> Not the cowardly lion, the cowardly boss. Oh. Although I think the cowardly lion would be a good little. We try to put little pictures of, of right, from movies, right, and I was thinking right. the cowardly lion is is pretty easy. But I first, would also dedicate this entire show to Captain Francisco Scatino, who, who is has a fan club. He was Costa Concordia. He was a captain of the ship that he was showing off to his girlfriend while his wife was at home. Decided to do some banking turn with his cruise ship and crashed it. As a sink, as a ship was sinking, he found himself in a lifeboat and went home. <laughs> they called him at home and they go like, "Where are you?" He goes, "Home." Go get out with the boat. And he was like, "That's just in the movies." <laughs> he refused and eventually had to do jail time. But to some, he's a hero, <laughs> a cowardly hero. Yeah, he would be the patron saint of this episode, exactly. without exactly. without any doubt. But before we before we jump in, um, I just wanted to say thank you to DNA yes. for hosting us. We did our first Bad Boss Brief live in Seattle yes. on Wednesday, talking about the DEI lie. We did have a couple of um, sub rosas that came up, and again, the same thing happened. As soon as we finished talking, somebody came up to me and said, "Hey, how about how about this question yes. that." He clearly yes. didn't want to ask in front of the in front of the whole group. So you 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 you, 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 will, you should note that also the, the conversation continued. I, I got waylaid and taken to the Comet Bar down the street, and it continued for at least half an hour at the Comet Bar. So <laughs> uh, not to my liking. I was wanting to just have a nice glass of wine. So. But no, well, and again, you know that's why we call it Sub Rosa because people follow that's us right. after an event and right. want to talk about things. Right. But hey, listen, if you want us to come and talk to you about a thing. Uh, about leadership or bad bosses, you can get in touch at WTF at badbossbrief.com um, or show ideas or questions. So thanks to DNA for hosting us. So let's talk about the the cowardly boss. And I was thinking about this because I remembered a story that I was told. So in Seattle, we have earthquakes. They're not as big as the San Francisco you know, earthquakes right, that you right, and I have right. experienced, but they're pretty good sized. And in February of 2001, Seattle had an earthquake that was 6.8 on the Richter scale. Yeah. And it was a little before 11 o'clock in the morning. Yes. So everybody was at work. Uh -huh. And I was at work. And I, of course, was in the 1989 Loma Prieta earthquake. So I knew exactly what was happening, got under a door, braced, you know, was, was, and everybody's kind of looking around like, what is happening right now? And I'm uh -huh. like, it's uh -huh. an earthquake. <laughs> well, a friend later told me, that in another agency, which will remain unnamed, there was a leader and he was pretty senior. I think he was like either the West Coast lead or maybe even a national president of some kind. And they worked in an open office space in a brand new office building. I mean, at the time that building must have been, I don't know, a year or two old. Right. And as soon as that earthquake hit, 
he fled. He ran as fast as he could, didn't look left or right, may or may not have been shrieking down the emergency <laughs> stairs. Scatito. And she told me later, she was like, she could, my friend, just could never think of him in the same way. She just could never think of him. She was like, he just ran past. He didn't think about, let's check on people. He didn't even have that human, like, let me make sure, whatever. He just, he ran in my imagination, screaming. And the funny thing was, I could never think of him in the same way either. Hey, listen, there's a friend of mine who she and her boyfriend are walking through a bad neighborhood and he's walking really fast. And she's like, yo, you want to walk with me? You want He's like, no, okay, we're, we're in a hurry. And they get stopped and surround, or she gets stopped and, you know, engaged with by some, you know, local toughs. And she goes, oh, what are you doing here? It's a bad neighborhood. And she goes, oh, I'm with my boyfriend. And they go, where? <laughs> and they all look around together. And, and he's like 10 paces ahead. And he goes, I- I'm not a boyfriend. <laughs> oh, oh. Wow. Oh, yep. Yeah, no, no harm came to either one of them because the thugs thought, I think it was actually said, you've got relationship troubles, and they just laughed and left them. Wow. <laughs> Chilly walk home after that, you know. No doubt. And probably the last walk home ever with that yes. particular yes. couple, yeah. as it should yep. be. Well, and I think I think what's interesting is, you know, I talk a lot about, and we have talked a lot about, the impact of fear on leadership. Mm-hmm. Right. And it can be mm-hmm. it can be really corrosive. And I there's been a lot of workplaces that I've walked into as a consultant or a coach and thought you can almost like smell it on people. Yeah. You can you yeah. can feel it. Right. However, I do think that at this present moment, having some fear in the workplace, particularly if you work for any of the fang companies, is it's congruent with reality, right? Like if you aren't a little bit nervous walking into work when tens of thousands of people have been laid off at most of those workplaces, yep. Yep. you're not really, you know, participating in reality. So so fear itself is not the challenge. The challenge mm-hmm. is being afraid and not taking appropriate actions because of that fear. And that's why I like to make a distinction because I mean, I'm, you know, it's, it's funny when we did our um, Bad Boss Brief Live, I mm-hmm. realized that I was presenting in front of a group, a number of people for whom I had done presentation training before uh, in the last like three months, right? And right, so right, I was like, right. okay, um, yeah. that's great. But one of the things that I often tell when I do presentation training is that even though I do a lot of presenting, I am mm-hmm. a very nervous presenter, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, as you know, I could barely choke down like scrambled eggs <laughs> before the event. You're like hamburger. I'll have some lightly poached eggs, please. Um, and, uh, and, and that's because I get really nervous, but I can be afraid and still stand up and yep. dry mouth, notwithstanding yep. present or whatever. And that's right. useful for people who are taking presentation training because they don't assume that, right? You assume that people who get up on stages are never nervous, right? right. And I do think that it's the same thing. So I just, I want to be clear, like there are leaders who are afraid who can still lead very effectively, Right. right. And I always right. think kind of bonus points if you're afraid and do it anyway. The, yeah. the, the cowards to me are the ones who know what the right action is and they choose not to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And the, 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 the most important word I think you just used in that instance was choose, because I do believe in this instance, it is an actual choice. Right. Um, and I in, in my experience in life, professional life, as well as personal life, I found cowards to be 
one of the more dangerous subspecies of um, because one, they'll do almost anything to conceal. Yeah, you know, like if you read Conrad's Lord Jim, they'll do anything to conceal their cowardly uh, uh, bona fides. And, um, and you know, they are dangerous if, if cornered, uh, <laughs> similarly. And, uh, and again, it's really clear it ties into, I don't know if you had a chance to read my, my substack on narcissists, but this is an earmark of narcissistic behavior because, of course, in their world, the, the guy running out the building is the, the guy running off the ship. Scatino actually said the ship, Slip shifted and he fell into a lifeboat. And so, having fallen into a lifeboat, he decided to, you know, take lemons and make lemonade and rode all the way home, you know. So, these people are, are dangerous to other people, always, not sometimes, not never, always dangerous to other people, you know. Um, yeah, well, and but, I, I, I read an article in the Harvard Business Review. It's a few years old. It's by this guy, Ron Carucci, who did yeah. a big study about um, cowardly bosses. Yeah. And what he was saying is that it's, it's especially corrosive, right? Mm -hmm. Because what ends up happening is that one coward really influences everybody else, yeah. right? And it can really yeah. impact. And in fact, he goes so far as to say, if it's not just your leader, if it's the corporate, mm -hmm. the, the corporate culture to mm -hmm. be cowardly, you should actually leave. Because it could, yep. it, like, you yep. know how the, I used to work in a coffee shop and the smell of coffee, like, got into my pores and my clothes. Yep. It's the same way. The smell of cowardice will overpower you as you, you just can't get away from it. But what he says, and tell me what you think about this. He says there's three reasons that people are cowardly. The first is that they are people pleasing. They want everybody to like them. The second is that they're afraid of failure. And the third is, is that they don't want to make the hard decisions. And, and I, I, I think those are secondarily symptomatic. Um, I, I, and I go back to narcissism and, and kind of real character issues. Um, and it's much the same with lying. There's certain lies that make sense to me. If you pre prevent some of you or yourself from being hurt, somebody runs up with a gun. Are you Jim? I'm not Jim. <laughs> you know, you've got a gun. As long as you've got a gun, I'm not Jim. That makes sense to me. That's a that's useful utilitarian cowardice. But the like the guy walking through the bad neighborhood with his girlfriend, that is, I mean, it's survival cowardice. But in that instance, he has decided that their collective survival is less important than his singular survival. And in a corporation, which is collective action and behaviors, that's that that is is just poison. These are secondary things. I mean, this is what the way you will know them by their actions. But what drives it is, I think, a fundamental belief that they are more important than everybody else or a fundamental belief that they are somehow less important than everybody else and don't want to be found out, which, of course, sort of ties into, I think, his first one. Yeah, and I, uh, I totally agree with that. And I think also it can be just fear in general, right? Like they're afraid of everything. Like there's a there's a sort of odd passivity that I've seen where mm -hmm. leaders just they don't want to make any decision. Right. Right. And and right. whatever that may be, maybe it's fear of failure. They're going to do it wrong. Somebody's not going to like them. They won't do anything. They, yep. they will just they will just refuse to act. And, you know, I mean, I think for me, the, the challenge is that I've seen this happen where there are things that are illegal that are going on. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I have gone to multiple bosses and mm -hmm. said, this is sexual harassment. Right? And it's not even stuff that's happening to me. I've done that yeah. also. But, you yeah. know, I get much more um, up in arms if it's something that's happening to women that work for me. Yeah, and yeah. I have gone and I have talked about, you know, a, a hostile work environment towards women. I've talked mm -hmm. about a hostile work environment towards black people and mm -hmm. had bosses kind of look at me blankly. 
Like, well, well, what do you, what do you want me to do? And I'm like, fire his ass. That's what I want you to do. I might not have always said it that way. And, and they'd take no action. Well, you know, I I used to, my high school job, I was, uh, worked in a fast health food restaurant called Dennis's. And, um, at one point, you know, it was right there on fifth Avenue, 18th street and fifth Avenue near NYU, a woman comes up and she has her plate and she goes, you know what? I had this tomato side dish on the plate. You're using styrofoam plates. I go, okay. And she goes, you may not know this, but I'm a chemist. And I'm telling you the mixture of the some acid in tomatoes mixed with um, uh, styrofoam causes a poisonous compound. I mean, I know you guys care about that, right? I go, oh my God, thank you. Thank you for telling me. I close the register during a slow point, go back into my manager Howard's office and go tell him the whole story. And he gives me the blank look. And I said, so we should do something about this. He's like, New Yorker hard, just straight through, goes, what do you want me to do? I got a storeroom of 10,000 of those plates because some broad came in and said, she's going to get sick. You want me to throw them out? I go, it's a public service. And he's like, get back to work. <laughs> you know, I said, like, I cow invariably ends up hurting people you know so well and i think too when we're talking about i mean that is certainly egregious right when you're talking about things that people are ingesting but look at some of the things that have happened at boeing in my backyard right right? i mean some of these things when you're 3m right the lawsuits that have been coming up there when you're talking about chemicals that are going on food or in agriculture that are killing people or causing cancer when you're talking about making a mistake in a airplane that is being yeah. used for commercial flights yeah. then it gets to the place where the cowardly is actually it's it, people will die and it's the idea criminal. that that other people will step around make excuses you know like mm-hmm. sort of not believe it that i think is what is is really scary is that it's not yeah. just having a dysfunctional workplace if you're talking about you know the things that are impacting the public square then it it can be lethal Yep. Yep. And, and yeah. Yeah. And, and it should surprise no one that the same guy that told me to get back to work in the face of poisonous plates was also a sexual harasser. Right. You know, yeah, well, and, and, you know, that food service is, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's where mine started. That's where I first yeah. got sexually harassed. Yeah. Well, here's, here's a couple of things that if you work for a cowardly boss, mm-hmm. here are some suggestions of things that you can do. So other this is fistic- other than fisticuffs. Well, that wouldn't necessarily be my first first take, but but yes, if you're like Eugene, other than fisticuffs. So again, this is this is according to this article from Carucci. Don't emulate, right? What he says is that you need to be particularly careful not to do this, right? Yeah. Don't gossip, which is some would argue a cowardly action in and of itself. But recognize that this kind of culture spreads, and that's where he makes the point: like you probably, if it's endemic, you're going to want to get out of this. And then he also says, ask for what you need. And he calls out something that's interesting is that a lot of times cowardly bosses will not be really good at setting boundaries. And so they will say things like, you know, I have to meet with everybody and everybody comes to me with their problems. And, and I just, you know, I'm so burnt out because I'm always listening to people's problems Instead of actually setting boundaries, like, well, why don't you let them, you know, I used to do this thing where I'd be like, okay, you can vent for five minutes and then we need to get into suggestions and solutions. Yep. So yep. go. And I'd look at my watch. 
right? That's a boundary. And that's one of the challenges that a lot of these types of leaders in their people pleasing, they won't set boundaries with the people around them, right? And then they'll complain and they'll be burnt out. So what he says is you need to opt right out of that and be really clear about your boundaries, right? I am taking a sick day. I will not be answering email, right? Yep. That yep. kind of thing. What were you going to yep. say? I was just laughing because I, I, I had a boss who said, listen, this job is really intense. It's a possibility you can get burned out. If you get burned out, don't do anything weird. Don't, I want you to come to me and just, you know, tell me and then and we'll work around it, you know? And I go, great. So at one point after like several 24-hour days, 18-hour days, seven days a week, I said, hey, man, I'm, I'm feeling a little burned out now. There's months and months of this, maybe four years of this. I feel a little burned out now. He's like, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> it was it was so graceful and beautiful how he just slid right by that into something and, and not only not only slid right by it but i left his office with more work <laughs> yep i believe it and i think that's and that's another challenge of these yeah. you know fear-oriented coward bosses right is right. that they it they will put they won't listen to that right and i think yeah. it's interesting because it's like you know, and I've also noticed even people who can set boundaries, they have their own hierarchy in their mind, right? right? Like, like it's okay for you to, you know, like, it's okay for you to take a, a sick day or a mental mm -hmm. wellness day, as long mm -hmm. as it's only a day. If you actually book two weeks of vacation and plan on not checking in, that's oh, a yeah. problem, right? Problem. Or it might be vice versa. It might be like you yeah. can take vacation. And yeah. it's often they have their understanding of what mm -hmm. it is that they think is good behavior. And mm -hmm. the, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people complain about people taking their actual accrued vacation. Like yeah. she wants three yeah. weeks off. Yeah. She's like going yeah. to Europe or something like the nerve. What are we supposed to do? It's like, yeah. well, don't yeah. give people four weeks of vacation if you don't want them taking vacation. Well, also there, there's a weird thing too, where companies are actively and aggressively encouraging you to take vacation. And in Silicon Valley, that's become shorthand for layoffs. Because that's cash in the bank. They have to pay you for your vacation time if they lay you off or fire you. So when a company starts saying, look, you guys need to take vacations, or, of course, it has the counter effect. People are like, oh, I've been through this dance before. They're going to have layoffs. I need to say, I need to bank that vacation time so I can walk out of here with a nice big check when they have the layoffs. So it's it's weird. The, the nature of work is, is in America presently is very strange and, and almost unhealthy. Yeah, I would not say almost. I would say it is unqualified. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For most people, it is unhealthy. But so here are some other suggestions that I came up with for what you can do if you have this kind of a boss. So I think it's useful to understand what they are being cowardly about, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a difference between, you know, somebody who has trouble giving difficult feedback mm -hmm. is different than someone who can't fire a person who is sexually harassing multiple women. Right. Right, right. Right. So it's it's not all the same, right? I'm going to have, I certainly have worked with people who are so conflict avoidant that they can't have difficult conversations with people. It has yeah. to go to HR or often it would come to me, right? right, right but right, the right. idea is they're acknowledging there's a problem. It needs to be addressed. If I was in management, it was part of my role. Okay. You know, would rather have the boss do it, but it's not, it's not, in it's not inappropriate for it to come from me or HR. That to me is a lot more forgivable if somebody understands they're conflict diverse and has a workaround than somebody who's just like, we're not going to have that conversation. And then I think also try to be strategic about it. If you understand that a boss, like, you know, I have seen circumstances where an individual is very, very reluctant 
to say anything difficult to another person live, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But they can sometimes do it in writing, yeah. right? And so it's yeah. understand like the person that if you're working for somebody, understand what it is that they are afraid of. And if there is a workaround, if yeah. there is yeah. something else, you yeah. know, and it's, and yeah. it is frustrating because I will acknowledge particularly for um, women who are dealing with a male leader who is a coward, it mm -hmm. essentially to stay in that circumstance, you need to be doing more emotional overfunctioning than yeah, you right. already are, right? right? Which right, is, right. you know, right. we don't we don't need to do all that emotional labor. Yeah. But if you choose to, if you yeah. want to or need to stay in that job, think about the emotional labor of strategically positioning whatever it is that that you can do. So for example, sometimes after <laughs> I've had situations where somebody will go and exercise, like they'll take a walk at lunch or they'll go to the gym before they come mm. in in the morning. Mm. That's the time to ask them because they feel manly right. and fit, right. Right? right? That's the thing right. to ask them to do the hard <laughs> thing, right? Right, 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 right? You know, which I hate to have to suggest, but again, the reality is some of us are stuck in jobs we don't like because we need the healthcare and the paycheck. Yep. And yep. sometimes we have to work for those kinds of bosses until we yep. can find our way out. Right. All right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, it's weird. I, I went through and I, I will name them because it's, it's, why not? When I was uh, looking at the executive editor role at uh, Inf uh, InfoWorld, if that is the name of it. And um, the publisher at that time was a, a wonderkin, a young guy, very probably younger than me, and was showing me through the office. And this is before a glass door existed. And, um, and he didn't seem like a particularly courageous man in my eyes, uh, but walking me through the office, I felt like I was being walked through San Quentin. It was open office, you know, well, actually made of cubicles and we were walking through and everybody, it was just, uh, it was horrid, horrid stink of fear throughout the whole, and I declined to take the job. I, I was thinking maybe it's fixable, but I, you know, but I'm clearly not the guy to fix it. You know, I'm, I'm the Vince Lombardi, get out, you know, walk it off type guy. I just can't deal with that kind of, and I'm sure the fear was externally imposed. You know, it matched the, it matched the tone and timbre of the kind of go, go, go tech thing that was going on, except we're fundamentally editorial people. So we don't have, we don't have guardrails like you have in, in engineering where it's either two or it's four. <laughs> yeah, you know, we don't, don't then have that. So yeah, it was a, it was a good job not to take. I have not regretted it at all. And I actually became friends with the guy who's taken the job and uh, he's, he's a pretty placid guy. He's doing a good job. It seems like, but I, I haven't had the heart to ask him, hey, is, uh, is, is your workplace still terribly fear-based? I, I did, did have not asked him that. So. Well, and I think that that is, that is something that's good to mention. When you're looking at workplaces mm -hmm. and you're considering and you get that vibe, and sometimes the way you see that is mm -hmm. with the it's with the boundary issue, right? Like I remember um, talking to your friend Carlos Watson, who has yep. you know again you've been writing about. I love the Ulta article, and he was talking to me about taking a, a full time role there, mm -hmm. and I was like, well, you pretty much demand twenty four seven, you know, always on. He's like, yeah, I should always be able to get in touch with you. I'm like, mm -hmm. even on Sunday mornings, I go to church on Sunday mornings. Mm -hmm. He's like, well, yeah, even on Sunday mornings. And so the negotiation was that on Easter Sunday, I could go to church and not have to answer his calls until after I got out of church. <laughs> yeah. This is yeah. true, yeah. true story, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So if yeah. you have to negotiate to work every Sunday except for Easter, yeah. 
um, probably a sign that like I did to say, yeah, no, that's, that's challenging to me. Right. And it I wish also- they would have arrested him before he told you that versus <laughs> like they, uh, a couple of months ago. So, yeah. So, and I think that is something to keep in mind. And sometimes it can also be, you can get a little cue to it in the mm-hmm. actual interview process. Mm-hmm. Right. Like places that'll have seven, 10, 12 interviews and not yeah. tell you why and not give you yeah. much guidance. Yeah. And there's yeah. like weeks of quiet time in between. You don't hear anything from them. They're not welcome responding. to Meta. Yeah, really. Nine, nine interviews. I mean, that's just crazy. Yeah. So one last point before we do before we do fire me. And this is a this is something that Karuchi brought up that I thought was really good is if you are a leader and you want to demonstrate that you are not a coward. Be transparent about your decision making, right? So you would say something like this. So this is telegraph what you're doing. This is a difficult decision. This group of people wants me to take A action. This group of people wants me to take B action. Whichever way I go, there's going to be difficulties, right? Mm -hmm. Telegraph that. Make it visible what it is that you are doing and show that you can have the hard conversations. You can Mm -hmm. make the difficult decisions, Mm -hmm. especially if you're trying to turn around a, a workplace that's had this problems. All right. All right, you have a fire me. Yeah, well, it's if you had been at been at a live event, you would have heard me unload on Mark Zuckerberg, who has turned this uh, uh, this this molehill into a mountain of his recent performance in a local jujitsu competition, and what he 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 sort of got his uh, the meta spokesperson to say he was not choked out. It was a complete non-story that ran into a month because of their constant denials. Well, I come not to bury Caesar in this instance, but to praise him because today, today in a real deft maneuver worthy of Stephen Jobs, he just decided to sidestep all of that. And in an article in Business Insider, I believe, uh, which clearly he said, get me, a, get me a journalist. I want to tell a story. And he's talking about the multiple benefits that come from training jujitsu for C for C CEOs, executive staff members about learning a certain quality of fear, fearlessness. And, and he said, you know, it's, it's a sport where it, when you're a white belt, you're going to get beaten up every day. So he's trying to contextualize his being choked out. He, I guess he figured, you know, at, being at loggerheads with the jujitsu community is not a good place to be if you still want to do jujitsu. No matter, Dave Camarillo, who's a, his black belt instructor, who's a hotshot, won't always be there. And you got to get on the mats with people that it is a sport of trust. So I, I thought it was really clever and deft how he stepped, like he's go, he can, he can bull his way through corporate America you know, through Congress. But what he could not pull his way through was the jiu-jitsu community, the silent the majority of jiu-jitsu players who will get out there and choke you unconscious without a moment's thought, you know, in a sport context. So what he did was to say, look, 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 look. Let's, let's not have that conversation anymore. Let's talk about the fact that this is a sport where everybody who starts at the level where I am is going to get beaten up. So he's sending a message to his board, which is who I think it was initially for. I'm not getting choked out all the time. You know, I can still run the company and, um, and the community that now he is, he's found common cause with. It was, it was, it was, it's pretty, it was pretty clever and deft. And it was what I would have recommended had he come to me the first time. 
So well, and it also shows that somewhere in there, I'm guessing there's a decent PR person. Yes. You know, yeah, I'm and, not going to give him all the credit for this. Yeah, yes, I mean, somebody, somebody said, who knows what. Yeah. And the question is, like, why did you not have that person closer in so that yeah. it didn't take weeks of foolishness after he yeah. lost consciousness in an yeah. event, which apparently is a pretty common thing. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't know, not doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. But I think the other thing that's interesting to me is the machismo attitude with mm -hmm. this, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That it's like he's talking about it in a way that's very um, – it, it, it's something a man would say, mm -hmm. right? Like mm -hmm. I, I think that this – like I'm doing these difficult things. I mean there was I, when when – I was heavy into advertising and working at different advertising agencies. It seemed like every white guy was mm. doing triathlons. That's and right. it was that like, was, yeah, it was like right. the, you know, it was a per particular Tough era, mutter. Yeah, 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 you right. know, where it's like, yeah. I'm doing, I'm doing triathlons. Look at me doing, you know, all of these things. Um, yep. Look at, you know, look at me doing these difficult things. I'm so macho. And, you know, the funny yep. thing is it's like, you know, and I, women just don't roll that way. And it's not that there aren't yeah. women who do triathletes. In fact, it was funny. My daughter was comparing Brazilian jiu-jitsu marks with you before the show. She does this also. So there are certainly women who do those more, you know, like those kinds of sports and yay. Yeah. But we don't we don't throw down that piece of information as if right. it is, uh, you know, like something about our value. And the reality is, I will say although I don't know about Brazilian jiu-jitsu, my guess is that a Brazilian jiu-jitsu match is not as difficult as bringing another human being into the world, right? Like that's a harder thing. Like if you're going to, I think if you're going to talk about a kind of like test of character, something that proves yeah. your metal, like yeah. being in labor yeah. for, I don't know, in my case, yeah. oh, days, yeah does something right but yeah. women don't brag about that right we don't it's not like i had natural childbirth with six children or i had you know whatever it's like because it's kind of silly and and we see outside of that well yeah so it's also like it's, it's like a, it's also like a checkmate there's nothing that a guy can respond to with that <laughs> regard you know what are you gonna say you know i mean you you're the one who contextualized it for me who said appendicitis uh, was about as bad. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that. I do. When was it? 1990, when, when I got my uh, appendix out. You said that was the only pain that I had that came close to childbirth. So that gave me some sort of context. Yes. So, uh, no, but jujitsu pain is a different type of pain. It's, it it's is. an ego pain, which he, he, he now has spent four weeks going through. I mean, he put himself in a situation where I couldn't let him call the ref a lie because I train with the ref and know he's not a liar. Um, and everybody in the community knows what happened so let's not we're not going to protect you from your board you protect us you, you know you're going to spend your three days a week with us you protect us unless you don't want to and then we don't protect you <laughs> <laughs> all right on on that note um i'm not sure what our next episode is going to be so send me some suggestions wtf at badbossbrief.com that's wtf at badbossbrief.com and we'll see you in a couple weeks take care bye, bye. Thank you for listening to The Bad Boss Brief with your hosts, Eugene S. Robinson and Stephanie Payrollo. You can check out more of their work by visiting consigliera.substack.com for Stephanie and eugenesrobinson.substack.com for Eugene. You can also find Eugene at Mr. Sleep 3, that's the number 3, on Instagram. Send us your questions or comments to WTF at badbossbrief.com and be sure to join us right here on your favorite podcast platform for more insights every other week.
Until next time, don't be an asshole at work. 